Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It is Victory Lane. Today is episode 84. We actually have David Reagan as a star of the show, two-time Cup Series winner and return guest. (laughs) I'm going to be honest, I forgot. I didn't even know, but I was looking back on the previous podcast and I was doing some preparation for the interview and I was like, I think I may have had him on before. Did I have him on before? And I did. (laughs) So I think that's what, episode 34, 35, something around there. So if you want to hear that conversation, go back and listen to it because I did mention a couple things we talked about there in this specific chat. But before we get into that too further, let's hit on who we're going to mention this week in the Wayback segment. So dad... Take it away with number 84, a wonderful, wonderful, wonderfully famous name. Thank you, Duve. Welcome, everyone, to episode 84. The last few weeks has seen us mention some of the greatest names in NASCAR history. Today, we remember a short track legend with one of the greatest names ever. 223 starts for the 84, with no wins or poles for the number in the Cup Series. A.J. Allmendinger had the most starts in the 84, but we're not going to talk about the dinger today. Others we could shine the light on include Jody Ridley, Mike Alexander, Mike Skinner, and Elmo Langley. They all drove the 84 and would be worthy of our attention, but one name stands out for our look back today, Dick Trickle. Trickle ran the 84 car 28 times during a 19-year cup career that totaled 303 races. He never won in the Cup Series, but he had plenty of occasions to visit Victory Lane. In his native Wisconsin, Trickle was a short track god. It's believed he raced more than 1 million laps, won over 1,200 feature races, and was, and likely still is, the winningest short track driver in history. Trickle won the 1989 NASCAR Rookie of the Year Award as a 48-year-old, driving the Stavola Brothers' number 84 Miller Beer Buick. At the awards banquet, he thanked everyone who gave a young guy like me a chance. That quirky sense of humor in his double entendre name made him an ESPN SportsCenter favorite. Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann always made a point on their Sunday night big show of mentioning where Dick Trickle finished in that day's race. Trickle also was well known for being a huge chain smoker. His habit was so bad that he had cigarette lighters installed in his race cars. How's that for being stock? And he'd drill a hole in his driving helmet so that he could smoke while in the car. These were different times and NASCAR allowed it, at least during yellow flag periods. At the 1990 Winston 500 at Talladega, how appropriate, Trickle was seen on live TV by his in-car camera lighting up and smoking a cig. Unfortunately, 
There's a sad end to Trickle's seemingly happy-go-lucky story. Following his retirement in 1998, he returned to Wisconsin and raced in occasional short track events. In 2001, however, Trickle and his family suffered a devastating loss when his granddaughter was killed in a car accident. Her death would haunt him. A dozen years later, on May 16, 2013, Dick Trickle drove to the cemetery where his granddaughter was buried. He called 911 and told the operator there was going to be a dead body at that location. When the operator asked whose body it was, Trickle said, mine. Moments later, he pulled the trigger. When authorities arrived, his body was found beside his pickup truck, parked next to his granddaughter's grave. Trickle's family later issued a statement explaining that he had suffered from chronic pain that doctors had been unable to diagnose. His brother, Chuck, related a conversation shortly before Trickle's death where Dick described constant pain in his left chest and how he didn't know how much longer he could take it. Was it chest pain brought on by years of chain smoking or a broken heart from the death of his granddaughter? We'll never know. That's all for this week. Back to you, Duve. Yeah, unfortunately, a sad ending to an otherwise fun life and fun story of Dick Trickle. And again, if you're feeling down, if you are having suicidal thoughts, you are not alone. There is help out there for you. The Suicide Prevention Hotline number is follows. 800-273-8255. That's 800-273-8255. They're available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Call them, call a friend, call a family member. You're not alone. But I digress. Dick Trickle, what a name, what a career, what a story, what a personality, unfortunately, taken from us a little too soon. Let's start off this episode, as we always do, with a good old-fashioned, just going to do one instead of three this week, and we'll go right straight into interview time with David Reagan. As I mentioned, two-time Cup Series winner and return guest here on the show, chatted about a lot of things as he was in his Ford F-150 driving from Georgia back to Charlotte, North Carolina. What he's doing now in retired time, if he's been able to slow down a little bit, not being at the track every single weekend. We reminisce a little bit about 2011 when he won Daytona in the summer after that heartbreak in the Daytona 500 earlier that year, that restart violation that has now become a little bit infamous. His time at Roush Racing before it was Roush Fenway Racing, and I mentioned the conversation we had previously. We delved into that a lot then, and we've revisited it on this episode as well because he really does not pull any punches. David Reagan is really well-spoken, really well-thought-out guy, and he really doesn't lie and beat around the bush too much. Also chat a little bit about when he filled in for Kyle Busch in 2015 at Joe Gibbs Racing and why those results weren't as good as he expected them to be. But at the end of the day, everything worked out for the best, and he was able to go on and have a solid cup career after that with Front Row Motorsports and Michael Waltrip Racing for the rest of that year. Chatted about a lot of things in between, and I'll stop rambling and get out of the way. Without further ado, here is return guest and two-time Cup Series winner, David Reagan. So, David, as I said, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. 
you're on your way from Unadilla down in Georgia back to Charlotte. You're going to stop at a at an old-time sponsor on the way and hopefully get back in time to pick up the kids from school. It's a full day for you today on the road. I've still got some friends and, and family down in Georgia, so I, I made a trip uh, down uh, today and uh, visit some, uh, yeah, actually some friends from Freight Auctions, one of our, our longtime sponsors at Front Row Motorsports. Uh, so get to uh, stop by and see Marcus and his family and, and then uh, head back home. So yeah, it's, it's been a, a, good, a good start to the holiday season so far. Well, it's good to hear because I know that in this crazy year, it's it's been a lot of not so good things happening. These these Corona times have been interesting for me. I'm sure for you, they've been interesting as well. But how have you guys adjusted to life in this pandemic? I'm sure having two kids at home, it can't really be easy. Yeah, you know, it has been a, a challenging year in some aspects uh, with just, you know, some trips being canceled, obviously, uh, you know, school being hit and miss a little bit, uh, not being able to see some of our friends and family like we normally would. But on the other hand, man, it's really been great that we've had a lot of good family time this summer uh, with me, you know, being retired from full time racing. I wasn't on the road all the time. So so that was really nice to just be home and, and spend some more time with uh, with my wife and kids. And then we, we found ourselves doing things around the house, you know, maybe some short trips around North Carolina that um, maybe go over to the beach or to the mountains. So some things that go. we might not have, have typically done on a uh, on a normal summer, uh, it, it turned out pretty good. So, uh, yeah, we'd like to say we had a successful year. Well, it's good to hear. I wish I could say the same. <laughs> no, nah, but it, it's uh, it's it's been good. That's great to hear. And David, I actually don't. I, I doubt you remember um, because when I was prepping for this interview, I was thinking to myself, I was like, you know, I think I've talked to David one on one like in the last couple of years before. Let me try to check. And we actually talked in Vegas of 2019. So that must have been March of 2019. Um, and that was, I think, a week or so after you announced that that would be your final full time season in Cup. So I re-listened to that chat that we had, and you had a lot of good nuggets, and you were super honest, super forthcoming, and I want to revisit a couple things that you said. The first thing is that you said life can go by really fast, and that you can get in a rhythm being a full-time cup driver, and you could just go from race to race, hopping on airplane to airplane, going from state to state, and not really worry about what's going on around you when it comes to family, friends, everything like that. So now that you've been able to slow down a little bit, being retired from full-time racing, I know you still got behind the wheel a little bit, and we'll get to that. How has life been now that you've been adjusted to not being a full-time race car driver? Have you been able to slow down a little bit? You know, a little bit, yes. I'm naturally a, a busy guy. I, I wake up every morning with a, a to-do list, and you know, whether it's around my shop or some of my duties with, uh, with Ford or mm -hmm. with um, you know, Fox TV doing some of the analyst work. So, so I'm always busy, but then it has been nice to just be at home and, and eat breakfast with my family or eat dinner with them, sleep in my own bed, not having to, to travel, even though the racing world was busy. You did have a lot of downtime, you know, at airports, uh, at the racetrack or rain delays, stuff like that. So absolutely. It, it did feel uh, different just being home, even though I was busy, but, but it, it's nice to just be around the house and in your community and, and seeing people that, uh, you know, that, that you haven't seen or spent time with a lot in the town that you live in. You've been able to see your kids grow up a little bit more as well. I think the last time we chatted, 
One was in preschool, one was in kindergarten, and I'm sure that you're still going to soccer games on Saturday mornings, I hope. And I asked if you were becoming a classic soccer dad, like soccer moms tend to do, and you said that you hadn't been able to get out to a game yet. So give me a status report on that. Have you been? Have you become official soccer dad David Reagan yet? Well, uh, I don't drive a minivan, so uh, that's not <laughs> happening anytime soon. But, you know, Fair. my girls do uh, do do some sports. Uh, I do enjoy taking them to school. Obviously, COVID has, you know, cut back on a lot of extracurricular activities, but they've, mm-hmm. uh, they've been in some swim uh, uh, lessons and stuff uh, over the past few months. And so uh, I do enjoy going and watching them, you know, grow and, and learn things and, you know, even – going to the park and riding their bicycle or uh, getting a, a tennis racket and, and going to hit some tennis balls, things like that are fun, you know, to watch your, your young kids, you know, develop uh, new talents and, and learn new skills that they didn't have. So uh, absolutely, those have, have been fun, fun things to do uh, in the evenings and on the weekends. So you're not driving a minivan to the games. Are you that guy that rolls up in a Mustang and just beats everybody when it comes to looks? Yeah, I, I try to keep it low key. I, I drive a, a Ford <laughs> F one fifty, so okay, yeah, there you go. I, I try try to keep it as as low key and, and normal as possible. Well, there you go. I, I'm sure everybody appreciates that there because they wouldn't want to race you. I know that. You also yeah. said that uh, you wouldn't really push racing on your kids, but you would love to have them involved in racing in some way. I know they're still super young. Have have they shown any interest at all? Have they gotten the racing bug in any capacity? Uh, not really. They they enjoy watching some racing on TV. They like to go to the racetrack because they have some friends and different people that um, you know that they know and they can hang out with. Uh, mm-hmm. But they're they're still on the young side. They're just six and four uh, right now. My my youngest one enjoys riding a, a four wheeler and, and a motor scooter and stuff like that. She kind of likes the thrill of of going fast. My older one, uh, Julia, she's more you know, uh, a little safer and, and, and kind of predictable when it comes to, you know, feeling things out and being a little bit yeah. more conservative. So I think she'll be the one that, uh, you know, is into some other things, maybe not all the thrill seeking that my, my younger one will be, but we'll see over time, but we'll yeah. see how their, their interests develop and, and change. For sure. Long way to go. How's your wife, Jacqueline, enjoying having you home? Is she is she going crazy and saying, wow, I really didn't know how good I had it when he was gone all the time? <laughs> well, a little of both. I mean, I know that she she probably does get tired of, of the extra clothes and the extra uh, food that has to be prepared. I know our grocery bill has gone up some, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it, we enjoy uh, being around each other and, and I can help out around the house and she, she hasn't gotten mad yet. So I think she's still pretty happy. Your brother, Adam, is his spirit still as great as ever? I was watching some, some video specials last night in preparation for this interview. And I totally blanked last time we talked, I didn't even bring up Adam, but I remember seeing him at the track a bunch growing up and seeing some specials that television did on him. And I mean, his spirit really is unbreakable. It's awesome. Is Adam still doing well in these crazy times? Yeah, I, I got to eat breakfast with Adam uh, this morning. Uh, yeah, he's doing great. He works three days a week at Chick-fil-A in, uh, here in Georgia and Love has it. a great time uh, doing that. He's got a lot of you know friends, a lot of people in the community that he can hang out and do things with. So yeah, life's pretty good for, for Adam. He's uh, He misses being at the racetrack some, 
Uh, I think the only race he went to this year was the Daytona 500. So he uh, he definitely misses some of the people and friends around the racetrack. But he, he's doing great, uh, doing doing really good. Good to hear. You think if I wound up going to Georgia and I and I told Adam that I that I knew you, he'd be able to give me like a free twelve count nugget meal or something like that? Yeah, he, he could probably hook you up with a, a nice coupon. <laughs> so the, the Chick Fil A uh, franchise owners they're always pretty generous when it comes to stuff like that. Oh, they are. I see rewards pop up in my app all the time. I'm like, oh, gotta go back to Chick Fil A. They're getting me again. It's it's great. But that's good to hear. Everybody's doing well in your family. I uh, I know you're a family man, and and that means a lot to you. So. That's great to hear in, the, in these crazy times. Another thing that stuck out to me when I was listening back to our chat was when you were retiring, you know, I, I was looking up the stats and I thought that you were older than you really were. And you said that you felt like you're a 65 year old in a 35 year old's body. So do you still feel that way? No more loud music. You're going to bed early every night. Do you still feel like an old man? <laughs> yeah, I, I, my wife and I are, are definitely more old souls than, than our most of our friends our age, we, we do, mm-hmm. we go to bed early. We kind of get up early. We, uh, we're, uh, well, we love to, to travel and, and, and do things. Uh, obviously that that's changed a lot now, but, uh, yeah, we, we don't, uh, we don't find ourselves, you know, goofing off as much and, and, uh, you know, kids help you grow up some, but, uh, but yeah, we do tend to, uh, to do things that maybe the older generation does, uh, more so than, than maybe some of the younger friends. We don't watch a lot of, you know, the new TV stuff and sitcoms and things that uh, that, that maybe people are more up to speed on. So uh, we, we embrace it, and, and that's okay. Well, when you guys were stuck inside, I assume that you were watching a lot of racing when it was back, of course. Were you able to watch, like, every single week, like like fans alike do on their couches, or were you more of a sporadic watcher of the Cup Series this year? You know, I stayed pretty in touch with my my work with uh, Fox Sports One and, and being an analyst on uh, NASCAR Race Hub. You know, I, I did enjoy kind of sitting back. I, I would uh, scan some of the drivers. You know, I would would watch uh, social media some on race days, and I wanted to stay involved and in touch with with what was going on and so I could have a little bit more insight and I still stayed in touch with a lot of the guys I uh, would, would text or, or call a few of the drivers on occasion and even swing by the shops uh, on occasion and just drop in and kind of see you know some things they were working on and uh, working through with the new schedule and things like that so yeah I tried to stay pretty involved um, I, I might would miss a little bit here or a little bit there but for the most part I made it a, a point to watch the race at some point during the week. I feel like this year, as as a whole, off track storylines, on track, returning to racing, Chase Elliott becoming the champion, it's got to be up there in one of the most crazy years across the board in recent memory in NASCAR. Do you, do you feel that way as well from watching everything that transpired on and off track happen? Yeah, I mean this will definitely go down in, in the record books as a very unique year. You know, starting with. Ryan Newman's uh, crazy accident at Daytona that he was able to walk away from. And then uh, the, the, the COVID deal hitting at, at Atlanta, going on a pause, having some midweek races, the, the one-day shows, uh, doubleheader at Pocono and, you know, at Dover and at Michigan. And then the, um, you know, the drama late in the year, uh, the, the first time a, a champion and the most popular driver ha- has won the, the championship and the uh, most popular driver, I think, yeah. since uh, you know, Chase's dad, Bill, did in '88. So, yeah, there there were a lot of unique things, a lot a lot of great racing. I mean, I thought that we had some great uh, racing at a lot of the the intermediate tracks, the short tracks, 
uh, going to the Daytona road course for the first time. And, and so, yeah, a lot, a lot of neat things like that. And uh, yeah, I think 2020 will, will always be remembered for, for a lot of those reasons. Yeah, I would agree with that. And let's hope 2021 has no big pause in racing and has some some of the same great action on track because on track, it was great. Off track, a little bit of a different story, but we persevered and, and we got through it. So that was good. David, I got to ask you a few racing questions on this podcast. I know we've talked a lot about off track stuff in your family. Um, I want to go back a few years to 2011 and the Daytona 500. Um, when I think about you and your career, I do think about that race as painful as it may be. I know, you know, here nine, 10 years after the fact, cause I was there and it's before I was in the media, I was a fan, but I was watching it and I remember seeing, um, the restart violation. I didn't really think twice about it, but do you ever think about that race specifically and that specific restart violation? Like, does that ever haunt you at all? Or is it one of those things where, you know what that happened? It sucked. I moved on really quickly after it happened. Yeah, I do think about it sometimes. Uh, it, it doesn't haunt me uh, at all, but I do think about it. And, you know, it's one of those things that it's just all part of the story uh, from from uh, from my racing over the years. And obviously, if, if I had a chance to, to redo it again, I, I would change what I did. Yeah, but at the yeah. time, I really didn't believe that I was doing anything wrong. Uh, that rule ha- had been very loose all week at Daytona. Uh, guys have been doing it. Uh, moving and, and changing lanes before the, the start finish line. You know, I felt like if I was the leader that I couldn't advance my position mm-hmm. and that I, I could move and, and that was okay. And so, you know, I think NASCAR just, you know, it was on, on the biggest stage on a green, white checkered for the biggest race of the year. And, and they wanted to make a, an example out of me. And I get that. I mean, guys have been made example out of uh, over time and that was just a bad time to, uh, to have it done to you. So, you know, at the time I didn't realize, I guess I did realize how big of a deal it was to, to get black flag and missed out on an opportunity to win the Daytona 500. But over mm-hmm. the years, it does kind of sink in and oh, it, it, it's no fun uh, to relive it, but it, it doesn't, uh, you know, get me upset or, or worried at all because that, yeah. that's part of it. And that's just, uh, that's just the way things are sometimes. I'm not shocked at all that that would be your mindset with it. Cause I, I take you as a very, very literal and honest person saying, you know what? Yeah, it sucks. And I do think about it, but at the end of the day, there's nothing really that you can do about it. And it, it was one of those deals where <laughs> for lack of a better term shit happens. So um, yep, I'm glad sure. that, you, that you're in that frame of mind with that. And then going back to that same venue that year in 2011 and getting the victory in, in the Coke zero 400 in the summer, I feel like that had to be immensely huge for your confidence as well, because I think 2011 was a pivotal year for you guys in UPS. Was that win more validating for you personally, or was it more relieving? Well, probably a relief. Uh, I mean, we had finished second in the Coke 600 earlier that year. I think we finished third at Richmond. Uh, we had a couple of other top five, so we had run well and, and I still hadn't had that first win and driving for a team like, you know, Roush Racing, I had won in the Xfinity Series, but I haven't won that cup race. And, you know, it, it was time. It, it was way past time to, to win a race. And so, uh, yeah, just to finally get into victory lane, that was the first win for UPS since Dale Jarrett had won for them uh, many years ago. So that, that was a really big moment. But I, I feel like it was a year uh, too late that if we could have 
you know, gotten that done a little earlier, uh, I think UPS would have continued to make an investment in NASCAR and stick around. But I think they had already, you know, made their their plans to move and, and do some other things. And, you yeah. know, that, that we had a really great season that year with, you know, a lot of top fives and top tens and some poles at a few tracks. But um, it uh, yeah, that, that was a big relief to just finally get a win. And I'm glad that I could win, you know, for UPS uh, in the Cup Series. That, that was always a special win. Going back to our prior chat, another thing that really stuck out to me was unprompted. You you were kind of reminiscing on your old years and your early years at Roush, and you said that, quote, I was so stupid. And then you expounded upon that a little bit, basically saying, you know, you didn't really train physically outside of the car or mentally. You had no real coaching. You weren't asking the right questions to your team, your crew chief, to try to learn more every single weekend at the racetrack. When did that click for you? in the cup series when did you realize okay i should be doing x y and z instead of this that and the other and, and when did you start seeing the fruits of your labor with that respect of things paying off you know probably that that very last year at at roush uh, drew blickensdurfer was my crew chief he was kind of yeah. young and took a little different approach on things and, and he was uh he was a really good coach for me even though he was really young and, and really had, had a lot of experience being a crew chief he had that coach mentality and, and that really was important i had had uh, jimmy finnick and donnie wingo which were two awesome crew chiefs and very smart people but they were old school they were uh they didn't communicate well with a young 20 year old at times and, and so I, I knew that i could drive a race car fast but i just wasn't very smart uh with with how to race the 500 mile races how to approach weekends uh, i didn't have a lot of confidence in you know what i needed as a race car driver to adjust this or change that i just kind of showed up and, and drove and, and so after working with drew and kind of seeing how to to analyze and look at things a little different and, and i did some you know uh, uh mental training with a, a sports uh psychologist some that uh, that year of 2011 and i learned like man i was missing out on a lot and then since that point i've seen how some of the other young drivers that have come into the sport they've really been groomed a little different than what i was at, at roush uh, i think that um, you, you see young kids like a William Byron or, you know, even uh, Eric Jones, Chase Elliott ha had his father and really good coaches around them to, uh, to train a little different. And, and I thought, man, I, I just missed out on an opportunity. And I did have some people over time need to get someone who can help coach. And I thought, oh, you know, I'm, I can drive a race car fast. I'm okay. I've got good teammates. You know, I'll lean on them. But, yeah, I just never ask a lot of the right questions. So when you were at Roush, I know at the beginning points, David, um, you actually told me before that you were able to survive and, quote, donkey paddle for a while <laughs> um, because you were, to a certain extent, you know, thrown off the deep end. You didn't have a full year of Xfinity or Nationwide at the time or trucks. You only had a handful of starts in ARCA as well. And you get thrown into the six car, replacing Mark Martin in the Cup Series full time for Jack Roush. I mean, that's a lot to undertake for a person that was your age at that time who still really did not have a ton of experience in the upper echelons of full bodied stock cars. And you just, it seemed like there were a lot of not great vibes going on with you specifically at that point in the early times and into your later days at Roush. Do you think that that was more attributed to the pressure that was on you from the outside? 
Was that more because you knew what the car was capable of and you saw what your teammates were doing around you? Was it a combination of all those things? I mean, what, what would you attribute the being able to survive mentality instead of the let's go out and win mentality at Roush to? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that was was me being, you know, thrown into a, an, an outstanding opportunity, an opportunity that that every kid dreams of, that even veterans dream of, you know, getting a, a shot to drive the six car and, and go race full time, you know, for Roush Racing, which at the time they, they were the best team in NASCAR. Oh, and, yeah. um, you know, I felt like that those first two years, even though we finished 13th in points the second year um, and, uh, and we won a couple of Xfinity races, it was the cars were really good those first few years. But then year three, four and five, the cars started to, to not be as good. They didn't drive as good. I don't think our COT cars were as good as the Gibbs cars and the Hendrick cars. You know, Penske was really strong in 2011 and 2012. And so, um, so I was driving harder. Our cars weren't as good. You know, I made a lot of mistakes. I, I wrecked cars when I shouldn't have. You know, I was trying to finish fifth when I should have just taken a card and, and finished eighth or 10th or 12th. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, the, the pressure was there and, and I was, I was super busy. You know, I, I was a young guy and would get signed up to do every appearance that none of the, the older guys wanted to do. So, yeah, yeah. you know, racing, you know, full time in the Xfinity series and in the cup series, you know, I was racing 70 races a year, you know, plus another 30 or 40 appearances. So, you know, I was traveling, flying commercial, and it, it was at the time I didn't realize it was just wearing me down. And then it turned to not being as, as much fun when, you know, uh, the, the cars weren't as fast as, as you had hoped. And you could kind of see where Roush was starting to slip a little bit uh, the, the last year or two I, I was there. And, 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 yeah, it was just a stressful time. Uh, looking back at it, I just didn't realize I was stressed. I was 20, you know, four, 25 years old. Yeah. And, I didn't. Uh, I didn't know any different. I was just uh, trying to race and and, uh, and and keep keep my head above the water. But it was really a blessing that you know I left Roush, and at the time uh, I was really close to getting uh, to drive the the 22 car for Penske when Kurt Busch was fired, and it was really a blessing that none of that happened um, because I got to go to drive for Front Row Motorsports and made a a lifelong friend with Bob Jenkins and a lot of those employees over there was able to get mm -hmm. them uh, their first cup win and, and really made a lot of great friendships and had a lot of good memories and couldn't have uh, imagined a, a better group to race for uh, those final few years. And, and it turned out to be a, a great turn of events. How close really were you to, to going in that 22 seat with Penske? Cause I know that Almondinger wound up getting that, that seat, but I know that you were, as you mentioned, in, in deep conversations to get that. So, can you take us behind the curtain a little bit? I mean, how close was that to coming together? Yeah, I think we were really close. Uh, I, we had talked, um, you know, contracts, and and I had gotten excused uh, from my duties at, at Roush. And I think there was a little bit of of, tr of trouble with with the some sponsors that, that Penske had that we also had at Roush for a period of time and maybe some mm -hmm. language in my contract at Roush 
that uh, some of the uh, the attorneys on the Penske side didn't like. So that might have been something that created a little bit of, of turmoil. And I think ultimately Roger, he liked AJ because of his open wheel background and, and wanted to give him a shot. But I felt like my performance that year of 2011, I felt like I had earned another shot at a top caliper ride. And, and I felt like I could have went to Team Penske and won races. I had matured at, at the right time that, that I think that that could have worked. But timing, timing wasn't right. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, it, timing is everything when it comes to, you know, a job opportunity or winning a race or getting a deal. And, uh, you know, it didn't work out, but I had a really another good opportunity around the corner that uh, turned out to be a good deal as well. I didn't know this um, at, a couple years ago when we were chatting, but I read somewhere that um, Mark Martin actually handpicked you to be his replacement for the six car. Well, A, is that true? And B, if it is, like, did you feel any extra added pressure with that? Well, I, I don't but I'm sure Mark I had a big decision with Jack. And, you know, Jack Roush and Ford Motor Company, and certainly Mark will always be known as the guy who, who drove that number six car. So, uh, you know, that, that's a, a great a great feeling. Uh, Mark's someone who I look up to tremendously. Not only is he an amazing race car driver, I, I think he's a great human being. He's a very smart guy. Uh, he, he was a great chassis man. Uh, he's a great racer, a good father and a husband. So, you know, he's someone that, you know, I, I really look up to and I wish we could have been actual teammates longer. We were only teammates yeah. that one season, you know, when we, we split the ride in, in the trucks and then he, he left the next year. So he would have been really awesome to still have, you know, on the team uh my rookie season in the cup series but but instead i was racing against him on the racetrack and so um you know um, mark's uh you know i owe a lot to, to mark for for the confidence that he had in me and and just taking the time even before that racing legends cars with his son matt and, and bandolero cars mark was always very gracious uh with his time and knowledge so he's, he's one of the first class guys that uh, the sport has ever had Back in the day, David, you were also a part of the Driver X program with Roush Racing, and that was before my time, really. So I've only heard like legends about it. Can you tell me like what that exactly was? I, I hear that it was basically kind of a TV show to get a ride. Was that right? And I think Todd Kluver won it when you were in it that year. Yeah, you know that was a great concept, and that's when the teams had so many additional uh, sponsorship dollars and so much oh, extra yeah. money yeah. in their budget that they would hire two or three drivers at the time, even though they didn't have a, a ride for them. They just were trying to pull in as much talent as they could. Mm -hmm. And and there was, you know, 25 of the, the best race car drivers all around the country got, uh, got an invitation to come and, um, and, and take part. We went to Martinsville and Darlington. We drove the trucks. We got to, uh, to, do some time trials and race against each other. And yeah, they did make a TV show out of it. That would be fun to go back and watch, but you know, there were some yeah. great, great guys uh, and girls that are, are still out winning races today uh, around the country that, uh, that were in that uh, Matt McCall, who, you know, is a crew chief uh, in the cup series. Uh, he yep. was a driver. He was there. And uh, Eric Darnell actually won the gong show the year that I was in it. Uh, Todd okay. Cleaver won the previous year. And so, um, you know, Eric got a chance to race in the truck series. Danny O'Quinn got an opportunity to run in the Xfinity series. Some, 
And uh, yeah, it, it was a, a great, uh, a great deal. And certainly my big break. It, it, I don't know if it wasn't for that. Uh, I don't know that I would have gotten an opportunity to drive that quality of a, of a car that young in, in my, my young life. I really want to go back and watch that now. A, because the, the gong show just sounds so cool. And B, to see all those young, talented drivers like before they were who they are, you know? I feel like yeah, that'd be yeah, so fun right. to watch back, especially you. Yeah, like, Justin, <laughs> I think uh, Justin Algar, uh, he was there. Um, you know, Jason Hogan, a super late model racer. Uh, yeah. Uh, Robbie Benton, who uh, who went on to, uh, you know, own an Xfinity team, mm -hmm. uh, Rab Racing. And so, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of guys like that that were racing and, and winning races from all around the country. So, yeah, really neat to uh, for all of us to get a chance to do that. That may be my uh, off-season project to find wherever those episodes are housed and just have a binge session because that sounds so fun. Um, let's go back a couple of years, David, to 2015. Daytona Xfinity race. Kyle Busch gets hurt, breaks his legs, and you get the call to sub for him in the Cup Series in the 18 car for Joe Gibbs Racing. How did that specific opportunity come to be? Who gave you the call? When did it happen? And when did you realize, like, all right, I'm going to be driving a Gibbs Cup car. This could be it. Yeah, you know, that's another uh, example where, where God has, has planned sometimes, and, and you don't really know, you know, what's around the next corner, but you just have to, to stay focused on, on the job in front of you and, and keep faith. Uh, 2014, um, we didn't have a great season at Front Row. I didn't really have a lot of sponsorship. I think there were a couple of drivers that had some sponsorship that basically came in. Uh, Landon Castle, uh, maybe Cole Witt had some money. And so I was kind of the third man out. And Bob Jenkins, a, a good of a guy as he is, he said, David, you know, I don't have the, the financial backing to run, you know, three full-time cars. Uh, I'm going to take care of these other two drivers who have more sponsorship than you, but, you know, I'll keep you on board. Why don't we run a partial schedule in 2014 and we'll kind of see what happens. So I was only going to run, you know, 10 or 15 races in 2014. I was driving the Xfinity car for uh, Fred Biaggi, the number 98 car that yep. um, that now Chase Briscoe is driving with Stuart Haas on a mm -hmm. part-time schedule. So I was going to run a few Xfinity races, a few cup races as well. You know, the wreck happens and I think I'm I think it was it was snowing in Charlotte, I think on that uh, Monday or Tuesday and I was I don't know, doing something at the house and, and says, Hey um be out for a little while that, that you don't have a full time deal, uh, would you be interested in, in talking to us about running a few races? And I didn't really know Adam. Uh, I had run the Xfinity series some and, and you know knew of him and I think he had, you know, watched me race. And I, and I said, absolutely. I said, I know I've got an agreement to go run these part-time races, but yeah. I said, I, I'm pretty sure I can, uh, can get out of it. And at the time we didn't know how long Kyle was going to be out. They thought it was going to be, you know, a few weeks, but um, you know, to go drive for, for coach Gibbs and, and, and just, just to keep racing uh, we, we made it work with, uh, with Ford and Bob Jenkins and, and, and one or two of our sponsors and, yeah, I went over and uh, I think that uh, that Tuesday or Wednesday and got a seat, uh, put in the car and met the people and, and went to Atlanta that next week. So that was, again, you know, there was a plan that, that was around the corner. You know, was able to continue to, to race and not miss a race that year. Did you put any extra added pressure on yourself when you got that opportunity in that seat? Because at that time, Joe Gibbs Racing was, you know, about to reach – 
the high point and, and the peak of them as a team. And you know that that 18 car is capable of winning races every single week. They got the pit crew to do it. They got the crew chief to do it. They got all the resources behind them. Did you put any extra added pressure on yourself or did you just try to have an even keel thought process about it? Go out there and just try to get good results. Well, I had a, you know, both. I mean, there's always pressure as, as a race car driver, you want to perform the best you can and, and you want to be the best uh, on the racetrack. And, and I knew that going into a role where, you know, I wasn't going to be, uh, you know, the guy that, that was making the decisions on the race car. And, and I didn't sit in all the meetings and, and I knew some of the, the setups that were going in, but I didn't know everything. And so, you know, it, it's tough to be perfect when, when you don't know all of that. But I also knew that they were still racing to keep their team intact uh, and building information for when Kyle came back. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I raced hard and, and I felt like there were a few missed opportunities. We had, you know, some some great cars at, at a couple of races. We, we wrecked at Talladega. We got in a wreck at Bristol running in the top 10. Uh, we did finish fifth at Martinsville. Um, yep. We we ran, I think, 10th or 11th at Texas. And, and there were a few tracks of uh, qualified well at a few places and so I, I didn't I didn't uh, run as good as I had hoped but we were running uh, average compared to the other guys uh, that, that started the season off so yeah again another just another uh, chapter in, in, in the book of, of my life I met a lot of great people got a chance to you know, work with the, the Mars folks who were, were outstanding. And obviously, you know, Coach Gibbs and Jimmy Maycar, everybody at Joe Gibbs Racing were, were really great. Um, met the Toyota people and uh, it, it was a, it was a good, it was a good run for sure. As you said, you had a best finish of fifth there at Martinsville, but looking at the stats, you did struggle for the rest of the time that you were with the 18 team. Do you think that if you may have had like a full off season to maybe prepare with them, or if you weren't thrown into it kind of at the last minute, do you think if you had a little bit more time to prepare and get yourself right, that you may have had a little bit of better results with them and your tenure there? You know, maybe, uh, you know, the cars, you know, if you look at, at some of the other drivers and their finishes, we, we were right on average. I think when I got out of that car, I was sitting 15th or 16th in points, uh, 17th in points. But, you know, I knew Kyle was coming back in those last few weeks. Man, I was working trying to, to put a deal together to keep racing. And I ended up, uh, Brian Vickers was, was sick. He wasn't coming yep. back. And so, you know, working out to uh, to go drive the 55 for, for Michael, um, you know, so it, it's hard to focus on racing 100% when you're working on contracts and and sponsorship agreements and trying to work on on your next ride when you know that my time's kind of coming to an end and the joe gibbs racing team they started building some new uh model and new design race cars uh later on that summer and into the fall so if you look at the stats company-wide i think we were very average compared to you know matt and carl and and what any were doing the um, you know the, the first half of the season and they really got hot in the summer months and later that year when they, they started yeah. building some new uh, some new race cars so now yeah, I'm proud of, of what we were able to do there and and then obviously for Kyle to go ahead and win the championship you know that that was yeah. neat to uh, to play a, a very small role in uh, in keeping keeping that bunch going. I was gonna say it may sound kind of stupid but I mean Kyle won the championship that year. So did they, did Joe Gibbs Racing ever like come back to you and want to like give you some appreciation or even like a championship ring for the contributions that you did with that team that year? 
you know, uh, no hardware. I didn't need any of that. Kyle, uh, he, he did all of that and, and Adam, yeah, but, yeah. uh, you know, I just from, from, you know, yeah, coach Gibbs called me and, uh, and Adam, uh, you know, called me after the, the season and, and that meant a lot. I mean, those are two, uh, outstanding guys. Uh, Adam's one of the best crew chiefs in the garage. And so, you know, that, that was great. And like I said, it was a very, very small thing. What, what I was a part of earlier in the season, uh, Kyle certainly, had the team on, on his shoulders there at the end of the year. Yeah. But uh, just, just to hear and, and, and to, to be a small part of it was, uh, was, was good enough. And you mentioned you wound up actually finishing 2015 off at MWR and Michael Walter bracing in the 55 instead of at front row. So you had a part-time schedule at front row, but when Vickers' health issues became apparent, I guess that you were able to just slot into that car nice and easily and as you mentioned, the timing seemed to be right with that opportunity as well. The timing was right for me to continue on. And I tell you that 55 team uh, and the whole Michael Walter racing organization, I, I would put that group against anyone that they were the most organized, very nice race cars had some of the mm. smartest people that, uh, that I had worked with. And it's really a shame that all that was kind of falling apart. When I went there, Man, it, it was uh, going to be a couple of year uh, deal to stay there. And, and Aaron's was a great sponsor from Georgia. I was from Georgia. We had some connections. And I felt like that was going to be the place that I was going to race and and and, and really get that second opportunity to, to find my, my home. But uh, little did I know as, as Clint was leaving and, and the wheels were starting to fall off. And, and that, that turned into a, a real struggle the last – you know, 10 or 12 races of the year because the guys were, were leaving. The team was going to be shut down and sold. And, and that, that was, uh, that, that was hard to see. Michael had worked yeah. so hard and Rob Kaufman to, to build that. And man, if you look on the championship winning team from this year and, and, uh, and other race teams that win races, you see some of those Michael Walter racing employees scattered around the garage area today. There, there were some really smart, guys that worked over there and so uh, I had again I had a lot of fun I learned a lot but uh, timing timing was was good that I was able to keep racing but it wasn't good that uh, the, the wheels were falling off uh, halfway yeah. through the season yeah yeah that's unfortunate timing on that but good good in one way unfortunate in the other and like you said I mean at, at MWR at that time I think your crew chiefs were Brian Patty and Billy Scott Billy Scott obviously being with Stuart Haas racing for the past couple of years he was running up front every single week. Brian Patty still in the sport as a crew chief. And, oh, by the way, Rodney Childers was at a part of MWR as well. Um, obviously not at that time, but, you know, leading up to that point to get MWR to where it was, you know, he, he was making cars go really fast. So, so you mentioned MWR having some hard times there. And then 2016, since you seem to be in limbo a little bit, you moved on to BK Racing for one year in the 23 car. And I know that a lot of people have some stories about team owner Ron Devine not getting paid, paychecks not showing up, checks not cashing. That year seemed to be a bit of a transitional year for you. And I know you may have some stories about Ron Devine, but what can you tell me about that year as a whole? It seemed a little bit different than any year you had experienced in Cup to that point. Yeah, well, well again, um, you know, God has, has ways of just kind of, you know, working in funny ways. Uh, that, that was a hard year on me, obviously, not, not getting paid for 
you know, more than half of the season uh, wasn't fun, but I got to meet a lot of great people. And I think Ron Devine, he tried really hard to be a good owner. He just didn't have any money. I think that <laughs> he spent uh, everything that he had plus more, and mm-hmm. he spent uh, money that, that wasn't his and money that he didn't have. So I think that if Ron had – uh, the money he would have certainly spent it, and and at, at times our race cars were really nice. We had again good people. We bought a lot of the equipment from MWR, and so I had a lot of fun. Uh, you know, Matt De Benedetto was my teammate. I enjoyed getting to work with Matt and and kind of help him some. Uh, mm-hmm. Patrick Donahue was my crew chief, who you know I'll always call a friend the, the rest of my life. So again, I met some great people. It was a good experience. Uh, you know, you learn from good experiences and bad experiences. And, and I don't have anything bad to say about uh, Ron or any of those guys that they tried really hard to make it work. But when you don't have any money at the top level uh, of motorsports, it's very hard to do that. So, uh, you know, I was grateful that I got to run all the races that year and, and I was able to continue racing and building relationships on the track and off the track. And, um, yeah, that, that, there's a lot of good stories. That's for uh, another day and another time. But, uh, you know, it, it was it was a challenging year from a lot of aspects. But after after the dust settled, I'm proud of those uh, relationships that I built. And I'm proud of those experiences that I built. Like I said, you, you learn from all the good and all the bad. And mm-hmm. I definitely gained a lot of knowledge that year. Yeah, we'll have to reconvene for another time to just uh, devote an entire podcast to Ron Devine and BK Racing. That that would be fun. <laughs> David, none of this would be possible without your dad, Ken, obviously. He raced in, in Cup for a little bit, and uh, I think you're a third-generation racer because your grandfather, Huey, also raced behind the wheel. And I think it all started for you at age 12 down in Unadilla, Georgia. You guys started racing together, and um, everything, as they say, is history from there. And I think at one point, or maybe for your entire cup career, correct me if I'm wrong, did he actually uh, manage you during your cup career? I mean, he was a big part of you off track, I know, but did he manage you? Never in an official role. I never, he never received a paycheck from David Reagan Incorporated, but he was always (laughs) a manager for sure. I mean, yeah, my my dad's always, you know, given me a a great advice and and has certainly been there uh, uh, for me. He's a, you know, a great, uh, a racer himself. Uh, he, he got banged up a few times later in, in his career, but he loved racing at, at the short tracks and, and was fortunate enough to uh, get to race some at the NASCAR level and have a lot of fun. And he made a lot of good uh, friendships and relationships that were able to help me uh, over the years. So uh, yeah, my, my grandfather who died before I was born was uh, an auto mechanic and owned race cars that raced on the beach in Daytona, raced around the southeast and then uh, really you know cool. my uncles uh and, and my father and a lot of our family you know was involved i had a cousin that worked at, at roush racing for 12 or 13 years that mm-hmm. uh, that was on a couple of my teams when, when I, I won some xfinity races so yeah those are some great family memories that, uh, that that i'll always have and a lot of uh, a lot of good memories for sure couple more questions for you david i i know that i think you were supposed to have a full-time job this year at Ford Performance, doing some sim work, possibly working and tweaking on the next-gen car. What have you been doing for them this year specifically at Ford Performance? Because I know that you're still heavily involved with them. Yeah, so I'll be testing uh, the, the Ford uh, Wheel Force car. So that's basically the the test car that, uh, uh, that yep. Ford and all the manufacturers will have. 
And so, yeah, that's been uh, been a lot of a lot of fun as that next gen car gets developed. Uh, as we get new parts and pieces, we'll ultimately hit the racetrack uh, in 2021 to um, you know to start developing you know setups and helping Goodyear develop a tire and develop aero maps and you know work with the engine shop to to put miles on the on the engine components to work through things for uh, all the four teams in preparation for 2022. So yeah, that'll be a, a fun fun title to to have and to work with uh, the Ford guys uh, this coming up season. And you still did get to the track a couple times this year. Starting off with the Daytona 500, looking back on it, because I know for you too, it probably feels like 10 years ago at this point, but you ran one cup race, the Daytona 500, and you finished top five. Damn. I mean, that's your best career Daytona 500 finish. One and done for 2020, dropping the mic, walking away. How about that? Yeah, they're not always that easy, um, but that (laughs) that was fun. We, yeah, we had uh, uh, selectblinds.com, which... Uh, you know, Rick Steele is a good friend of mine and, and that was great to have him on the, on the car and, you know, for, uh, for everyone just to, to get the year off like that. I, I enjoy the speedway races and, mm-hmm. uh, our car owner, Bob Jenkins uh, enjoys and always fields a very fast, uh, Ford Mustang. So yeah, that was fun. And then I got to run a few truck races, which I really, I still love racing and, and I still hope that, uh, you know, even this upcoming season to run a few races, I don't know if that'll be. Uh, a, a cup race or two or a few truck races or even some ARCA mm-hmm. races at, at fun racetracks. I, I love, I love the short tracks. Uh, you know, a race at Daytona is always exciting, but uh, the actual sitting in and, and, and strapping in that that's, that's this part that I do miss a little bit of the competition, you know, yeah. to all the other stuff that was just getting to be more than what I really wanted to commit my life and doing. Yeah. So if I can, uh, can still be home a lot and, and be a good father and a good husband while keeping one foot in the door, doing some work for, for Ford and, and helping make these Ford Mustangs faster and, and getting to drive a couple of races here and there, uh, that, that's a, a perfect schedule for me. Yeah, as you mentioned, you had a couple truck races this year with DGR. Should have been more, but unfortunately, COVID and the the qualifying procedure prevented that from happening. Best finish is seventh at Richmond. You think you're going to be able to get back in the truck a couple times next year and and finish some unfinished business next year with the DGR folks? Because you ran really well when you were in it. Yeah, I would like to. You know, David's a great friend of mine, and uh, he's got a really good race team over there with some young drivers that, that I've worked with. And, you know, I have some interest in seeing them run really well and succeed. So, you know, once the, the dust settles and, and they get their schedules all figured out, yeah, I'd love to, to pop in at a few fun racetracks and run a couple of races. So, uh, you know, time will tell. I don't have anything set in stone at the moment, but we'll yeah. just kind of play it by ear at, at some races that, you know, we feel like we can show up and run well at or, or have a shot to win. Uh, we'll, we'll sneak in and, and try to go uh, take a trophy one weekend. David is an owner that you've raced with in the past. There's a lot of new, young, exciting ownership groups coming into the sport. Next year specifically, Michael Jordan, Matt Tift, who you were teammates with, BJ McLeod with him as well. Um, what do you think and make of all of these new, different ownership groups coming into the sport in 2021? And I guess in preparation for 2022, Justin Marks, add him to the list as well, obviously, for the next-gen car. I mean, it's got to feel pretty good uh, watching it from the outside, I know, um, but knowing these people on a personal level as well to see the investment that they're making in the sport and the success that in time they should have. 
Yeah, I mean, I think we're at a, at a turning point in the, the NASCAR world, obviously, with the schedule changes that are happening, what we've learned from uh, the, the, the COVID uh, schedule updates this year on, on adjusting the weekend schedules to save the team some money. And I think this new car uh, has the, uh, the ability to, uh, to put the cost down and into a more favorable spot. Uh, ultimately, uh, the, the team owners have to have a way where, where they can uh, have a little better price point to, to run these races and, and entice another manufacturer to come into the series. So I mm-hmm. think the guys that you just mentioned, they all see an opportunity that hopefully over the next five to seven years, as, as the schedule gets adjusted, as this new race car gets adjusted, hopefully a new manufacturer can see some interest in the, um, uh, you know, in, in the Cup Series. I, I think that it'll continue to uh, to move forward. And so, you know, we, uh, we've all seen the decline in some of the TV numbers and attendance numbers over the past 10 years, but mm-hmm. we still have a lot to be excited about. I mean, there's still no millions of people that watch every single weekend. Uh, there's uh, there's going to be 100,000 people that they're going to allow fans at the Daytona 500. It's going to mm-hmm. sell out. So there, there's some great markets that we go to. There's passionate fan base, and, and there's still a lot of NASCAR fans all around the world. So what we do have a, you know, the, the, the number one racing uh, here in North America, and, and that's something that, that we all need to to be excited about. And I think that it's fun to see new car owners come in and, and take that, that investment and that gamble that, uh, that they're going to have something to, uh, to be excited to have over the next few seasons. Well said, couldn't have said it any better myself. Last question for me, David, I want to give you a chance to talk about the work that I assume that you're still doing with Shriners hospital. And I'm sure that it's probably still as fulfilling as it was at the start. Yeah, I mean, I'm a member of the Shriners fraternity, uh, and so I, I love, you know, that that the Shriners have this this great philanthropy with the hospital networks. Uh, you know, there's the Shriners fraternity dates back um, hundreds of years. The hospital network was started in 1922, and so we've got uh, 22 hospitals around North America. We've got a uh, uh, one in uh, Mexico City. We've got a couple in Canada, but uh, they do so much for uh, young boys and girls that, that need some help with, uh, you know, a cleft lip surgery or any type of spinal cord surgery or any type of orthopedic need that maybe they couldn't find that in their local community or they couldn't afford or their insurance wouldn't pay for. So uh, regardless of their ability to pay, the, the Shriners Hospitals for Children will, will take them in and, and treat them uh, the, the best way they can. And, and I love, you know, seeing uh, those those patients and the families and how they're affected and yeah it's been a a really neat thing to combine my racing interest and really use that as a platform to you know tell people all the good things that Shriners Hospitals for Children are doing in in the local Mm -hmm. community so yeah I'll continue to work with them and you know continue to do some stuff with them maybe in the NASCAR world but maybe you know in some other uh, other things as well so yeah they're uh, they're not going anywhere they're still treating a lot of kids every single day and uh, yeah it's going to be fun to be able to have things open back up to where we can have some fundraisers and visit the hospitals again and do some stuff like that. Well, I know you're not going anywhere either, so we're looking forward to seeing what you can do on track next year, whether it's in 
Cup, Xfinity, Trucks, Arca, Legends cars, whatever. Um, and I'll also, as always, looking forward to seeing what you got to say on Fox Sports 1 with your coverage on Race Hub. David, thank you so much for your time, man. It was it was great to catch up. Great to talk a little bit more with you. Hope that I was able to pass the time on your drive with you, man. Thank you so much for the time, and I really do appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the time today, and look forward to uh, seeing you at the racetrack soon. And we're back. Hope you enjoyed that chat with David Reagan again, return guest on the show. So very thankful he gave me some more time. And again, he's retired. So part of me is like, ah, eh, he has nothing else better to do. Might as well just hit him up. And then also I'm like, well, he's, he's a two-time Cup Series winner. I don't know if he's going to give me the time of day, but he gave me the time of day and then some. So I thank David for that. And the way that I actually inquired about the interview was I went to his website and the contact page, sent him a note. And I was expecting his PR to get back to me or a publicist or something. And no, it was just him. He wrote me back within like 30 minutes and was like, hey, this is David. I can do it. I was like, okay. <laughs> so that was funny. And thank you guys for bearing with me with the uh, the audio troubles. His connection was a little spotty as he was driving through from Georgia to North Carolina. But I think it all came out for the best. Lug nuts of the week. Cue that fucky music, white boy. More silly season news keeps on trickling in. Corey LaJoy will drive the number seven Chevrolet for Spire Motorsports in a multi-year agreement. They purchased the assets of Levine Family Racing, so they'll be operating out of that shop with the seven car, which is Alan Kowicki's old shop. Cool deal there. Good for Corey. He released it on the Sunday Money podcast and did some articles as well with a bunch of different media outlets. The Athletics, Jeff Gluck, Dustin Albino from Front Stretch, my boy. So check those out. But Corey LaJoy in the seven for Spire Motorsports next season and beyond. AJ Allmendinger is going to be returning to Colleague Racing on a full-time basis next year. That means they will have three full-time cars in the Xfinity Series. Justin Haley in the 11, Allmendinger in the 16, and Jeb Burton in the number 10 car. So they are going to be trophy hunting and then some. The release was super funny because he actually called Justin Haley his son in the written release. And in the video tweet that they had um dinger was playing golf in this really funny outfit and oh I, I literally laughed out loud at the golf thing so be sure to watch that that was funny rafael lasard who got booted from kbm for john hunter Nemechek, who's going to be joining them on a full-time basis next season not sure if i was able to mention that last week but lasard is joining gms racing part-time and ryan truex is going to nice motorsports full-time he had a really cool driver announcement on twitter as well the names of the Cup Series drivers are the names of the Cup Series drivers are actually going to replace the quote Cup Series that was on the front windshield the past couple years next season. So instead of it saying Cup Series on the top, it's going to say their last name with the manufacturer emblem on the sides. I like that move. Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Steve Kinzer, legendary guys right there, they're going to be inducted into the NMPA Hall of Fame. Congratulations to them on that. Chase Elliott's going to be making his Chili Bowl debut later this month in Tulsa. That's some exciting news. And unfortunately, we have a couple unfortunate stories to pass along. The first being that Morgan Shepard, longtime team owner and driver in NASCAR, he's been diagnosed with the early stages of Parkinson's disease. So thoughts go out to his family as they try to navigate that. And Rowdy Harrell, who is a tire changer for Alex Bowman's number 88 Hendrick Motorsports team, and his newlywed wife, Blakely, they were killed on Tuesday night in a car crash a week ago as, as of this recording. 
Rowdy was 30 years old. His wife was 23. They were married on Saturday, and they were on their honeymoon in Key West. And unfortunately, a car crash claimed both of their lives. So really, really unfortunate. And from all the tributes we saw pouring out on Twitter, it seemed like Rowdy, as well as his wife, were two incredible people. So thoughts and prayers go out to them, the Hendrick Motorsports family, everybody during that tough time. Unfortunately, we're going to end on that note. Uh, I wish I planned better to end on a happy note, but that will wrap things up for episode 84 of Victory Lane 2.0. Next week, we got Gracie Trotter coming on the show. Jesse Love's teammate and first female to win an ARCA-sanctioned event. If you like what you heard here today, please do me a favor. Leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to this podcast. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, not Google Play. Got to fix that one. But until next time, do me a favor, stay safe, stay inside, wear your mask, keep washing those hands, and we will catch you on the flip side. Peace.